All right, Jeff, check. Are you there? I'm here, loud and clear. Wonderful, loud and clear. Great. Dr. Marlowe Kemp, are you there? Hi, good evening. I'm here. Can you hear me? Perfect. Thank you. Steve, are you there? Yes, sir. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Jim, are you there? Jim, one more time. Are you there? Okay. You may have to be in the chat room tonight because we can't hear you. I'm going to put you on mute, okay? Joel, are you there? Hello. Yes, I'm here. Coming in loud and clear. Wonderful. We're ready to go in just a second, y'all. Jim, you should stay on mute. I put you on mute. Stay on mute. You may have to go from the chat room because we got to be able to come in for the show. Keep your stuff on mute when I put you there, everybody. All righty. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. Got a busy night for you. A lot to get to you. I'm going to let our co-host, uh, Dr. Kemp, you say hello to everybody for us. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining in. Welcome to the show. All righty. All right. And the Volleyball Hall of Famer from Fisk University, Joelle. Say hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All righty. Our analyst, none other than Steve, Coach Stephen Wright. Tell everybody hello, Steve. Hello, everyone. Good evening. All righty. And we have back with us tonight our security analyst, none other, my brother, Jeff Butts. Tell him hello, evening, Jeff. folks. Happy holidays to you. All righty. And, uh, my co-host, Jim Waddell, will be coming in from the chat room uh, shortly. 
but we're gonna ready to go. So, uh, we have some some stories tonight in our world news. Uh, we lost former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. He was um, very instrumental in the United States. Let me give you something. Henry Alfred Kissinger, born May 27, 1923 to November 29, 2023. He was an American diplomat, political scientist, geopolitical consultant, and politician who served as the United States Secretary of State and National Security Advisor in the presidential administrations of Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford between 1969 and 1977. He was born in Germany. And Kissinger came to the United States in 1938 as a Jewish refugee fleeing Nazi persecution. He served in the Army, U.S. Army, during World War II, and after the war, was educated at Harvard University, where he became a professor of government and earned an international reputation as an expert on nuclear weapons and foreign policy. He frequently acted as a consultant to government agencies, think tanks, and the presidential campaigns of Nelson Rockefeller and Nixon before being appointed to National Security Advisor. Now, he had a legacy. He also won a Peace Prize. He worked on the Paris Peace Accord, but he also came with some of his controversy. During Kissinger's legacy, he was polarizing the subject in American politics. He has been widely considered by scholars to be an effective Secretary of State and a practitioner of a pragmatic approach to politics called real politic, but has been accused of war crimes for the civilian death toll of the policy he pursued in his role in the U.S. support for several dictatorial regimes and willful ignorance toward war crimes committed by allies. Nevertheless, Henry Kissinger played a big part in the United States politics. Dr. Kerr, give me a comment on Henry Kissinger before we go to Mr. O'Connor. Sure, um, Dr. Burry, from what I can remember, um, I just used to always connect his name with foreign policies. Um, you know, just growing up and just listening to him, especially around in the 70s. And what I thought was interesting is, um, although he was from Germany and pretty much was born over here in the United, I mean, I'm sorry, raised over here in the United States, um, he and he was very controversial. Um, a lot of the people, they liked him um, in terms of what his, his knowledge of foreign policy and when Nixon picked him as the national security advisor, um, they pretty much stated they were paired because he was the charming and outgoing one and had grace and intellect, whereas Nixon didn't have any of that. So I think that a lot of people, you know, kind of respected him um, in, in his roles as secretary yes. of state and, and national security advisor. Yes, he was big. And then we lost a second very important woman, and uh, Dr. Kemp, Sandra Day O'Connor. Sure. Um, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor was born March 26, 1930, and of course, we all know she passed away December 1st, um, 2023. She was an American attorney, politician, and jurist who served as an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States from 1981 to 2006. She was the first woman to serve as a U.S. Supreme Court Justice. She was a moderate conservative. She was known for her precisely research opinions. She was nominated by President Ronald Reagan, and she was also considered a swing vote for the Rehnquist and the Roberts Court. Before 
O'Connor's tenure on the court. She was an Arizona state judge and earlier an elected legislator in Arizona. She served as the first female majority leader of a state Senate as the Republican leader in the Arizona Senate. And upon her nomination to the court, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was confirmed unanimously by the Senate. On July 1st, 2005, O'Connor announced her retirement effective upon the confirmation of her successor, Samuel Alito, uh, was nominated to take her seat in October 2005 and joined the court on January 2006. Um, during her term on the court, O'Connor was regarded as among the most powerful women in the world. After retiring, this is interesting, she succeeded Henry Kissinger as the chancellor of the College of Mary, William and Mary. In 2009, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Sandra Day O'Connor, outstanding, both of them, both of them. Now, unfortunately, next news and our last part of the world news is something we don't like to celebrate, but we have to still talk about. This week in the United States, uh, in Texas, Dallas, Texas, we had another mass shooting. And uh, with this shooting, we set a record in this country for 38 mass shootings in a year. And the previous record was in 2022, our most recent, where there were 36 mass shootings with guns. Mass shootings are anything where there's a killing of four people or more. And so, again, here's this problem knocking on our door. And I'm going to ask uh, Jeff to come on in, give us his sights, insights or thoughts on this one and other incidents. Jeff. Yeah, good evening. I think the first thing is there seems to be a difference of opinion of mass shootings. Mm. Uh, four or more, I don't think everything is included. <laughs> I, I think I've heard about some things going on in different areas, some some ghettos that are not reported, and there's definitely more than four persons uh, shot. But that's the first thing. This thing is a tough, tough situation. Now, the young man, I believe his name was Byron Carrillo, 21-year-old. Uh, they had previous uh, encounters, him and I believe it was two of the neighbors, uh, I know there was an order of protection. Uh, more recently, I believe in November, they put an ankle bracelet on him. This gentleman lived next door. It's just amazing to me that you can have uh, someone next door who, if you have to put a, a, a order of protection and a, a ankle bracelet on him to keep a track of where he is, you have to know he, he has access to even yell at the people next door. So just just that alone was kind of confusing to me. Uh, such a tragedy. There was a one-year-old, unfortunately, that lost life. Uh, I believe it was a total of four persons that lost their life. Uh, this is a tough thing we're dealing with. Uh, I know of a few cases where there's an order of protection that does absolutely nothing. Mm. I need to say that and let that marinate. There are some circumstances, domestic or whatever, where there's an order of protection and it does absolutely nothing absolutely nothing so we have to we got to kind of address these things uh anytime you have someone that's that dangerous and you know he's that dangerous i think more steps have to be in place to protect the person who's being threatened cliff yeah yeah jim give me your thoughts on this 
Jim, I'm, another mass shooting in Texas. I saw where it set the record for yep. yearly. Oh, it's got to stop. We have to find a way where we can settle disputes or anything without killing someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a a moral issue. It's a gun control issue. Um, and it starts early. Um, I don't know the stats, but they talked about how many times a, a child watches a gun killing in games or whatever from the time they were a child. It was a tremendous stat I read, like a few hundred uh, before they even hit teenage years or on television, how many times they see a gun used. So you're right. This is, um, this is a big problem. And uh, we can continue to work on it. I'm going to take one opinion on this. Joelle, what do you think? How do we, you've been an educator, you've been in the system for years. Uh, how do we slow down these mass shootings and gun violence? Joelle? Yes. Can you hear me? Sure. Yes. What I think, I mean, Texas, unfortunately, uh, has to hold the statistics right now for being the number one city, but really that's, it's capable anywhere within the U.S. And I think the people will, the people along with the community everyone has to be accountable before they get into any building they they normally uh have walked up or got out of a car to just be aware of your surroundings once they get in there as well is we need to have some kind of protocol anywhere there's a gathering of people whether it be uh stadiums malls churches everything because now those people are targeting and we just must be looking out for them and please if, if they they normally let somebody know some type of way and we need to just uh, make sure that there's an avenue for those who have to tell or may see something keep that as well um and other than that it's just prayer i hope it stops yes yes thank you so much Joel. all righty so we'll keep an eye we'll keep talking about it we'll keep praying about it but we will not, one thing we will not do is keep silent about it, okay? Now, we want to welcome Chris Pugh to the show. We also want to welcome Diana Pugh to the show. And for those who are listening to our audience, Diana is also a member of this team. She is the marketer for Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, uh, chief marketer to help market our show. So welcome. She's in the chat room listening tonight. Now, let's continue on with our Woman of the Month review for 2023. And uh, we're starting with, I believe, February tonight. And that woman was Miss Wilma Rudolph. Wilma Glodine Rudolph, okay? Uh, let me just run down some things briefly for you on her. Born June 23rd, 1940, and she passed in 1994 at the age of 54. She ran track and field. She was, of course, ran for legendary Ed Temple and was a member of the Tennessee State Tiger Bells. She ran in the Olympics in 1956 and 1960. And it was in 1960 in Rome that she won gold in the 100 meters and in the 200 meters and in the 4 by 100 meter relay. Also in her career, in 1956, she won bronze in Melbourne. The thing that became so infamous in that Olympics was that was the same Olympics that she won gold. The cameras started covering the Olympics tremendously. Muhammad Ali, Oscar Robinson, also in that Olympics. She has become the face of the black woman being on international track and field stage. And it started in 1960. Uh, I'm going to ask my Tennessee State Tiger there, Dr. Kemp, 
chime on in. We're talking about Wilma Rudolph. Yeah. Dynamite lady, a powerful woman. Anytime you can overcome polio, um, can barely walk, and, and then to just um, grow up and be one of the greats that we are still talking about to this day, um, and people emulate and want to be like her. And of course, a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated and a big blue TSU Tiger. Uh, what else can I say? One of the best. Wilma Rudolph. I'm going to go to another Tennessee State graduate, Steve, Coach Steve Wright, Wilma Rudolph. She was, uh, you know, it's hard to put in words somebody like uh, uh, Dr. Kemp was saying, who polio, had polio, braces on her legs, and to overcome what she did to go on through high school and get to college and to the Olympics and become the powerhouse she was in track and field is just a testament to her soul. It's just, she was just awesome. And when um, she was at Tennessee State, you should have seen all of the great athletes that we had on the campus during her time. And she was, she was still one of the tops. I actually had a class from her track coach, Ed Temple. And, uh, <laughs> he he was you just had to be that he was he was something else, but uh, Wilma uh, she was great. I accidentally I mean not I actually uh, was uh, in some situations where I was around her husband, her ex husband, and stuff. So you get to find out a whole bunch of stuff. But she she was awesome. All righty, Wilma Rudolph. She was Miss February fourth. Let me try to have the buzz right now. Coming back to this year in review, this woman also tracking figure a lot of people don't know about. She was Miss Alice Marie Coachman Davis, born in 1923, died in July of 2014. She also was an Olympic athlete. In fact, she was the first African-American woman to win a gold medal, and she won it in the 1948 Olympics in the high jump in London. She's from Albany, Georgia. And when she started running in Monroe Street Elementary School, she was encouraged by her teacher, Corey Bailey, and her aunt. Her father didn't want her to run. She stuck with it, ran without shoes, she jumped without shoes, and eventually she jumped away right into the record book. Mrs. Alice Coachman, later on in life, 1979, was inducted into the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. And um, she just has so many other great accolades. And, 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 and she was a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, but she was um, a great woman. And uh, Miss Alice Coachman. Joelle, tell me what you think. Have you heard of her? Miss Alice Coachman. We're going to give her a hand right off the bat. She was the original trailblazer. Yes, she was absolutely. Yeah. An original trail. And you think about those times. If you look at that time, I believe it's 1948, correct? Correct. What she had to go against to boot it. And that just comes to show you that whatever we have to face, that's one of our role models that we can look at and look at what she's done and what she accomplished with what she had. People like Alice Coachman, that left that helped us lead to 
Wilma Rudolph. Thank God for Wilma Rudolph and one of Tennessee's own. I believe her burial site is in Clarksville, Tennessee. And she provided so much for our community in Middle Tennessee and TSU with those junior Tiger Bells and all the track programs. Just to follow these women and watch them achieve the ultimate gold of the best of the best in the Olympics. Thank you. Sure enough. Jeff, Alice Coachman, what do you think? I think we need to revisit the GOAT. (laughs) I can't see the young folks today dealing with what they had to deal with back in that time. Uh-huh. And then still kicking down doors. It is amazing. You got to applaud these folks every time, Al Cliff. Absolutely. 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 Alice Coachman, one more time. Give us some more. All right. Now, we're going to move on to our businesswoman, our businesswoman executive, or women of influence of the week. And this is none other than the Seattle Storm of the WNBA, her CEO, I believe in 2015 to 16, and team president, Alicia Balabanis. You probably haven't heard of her much, okay? She spent her first six years as a CEO, the general manager of the Seattle Storm. She helped me build that team and the WNBA champion. Most recently, in 2015, the second championship was over a five-year period, the 2020 WNBA championship. She helped bring Brianna Stewart there at the time. And uh, she's also a force in the business world as well. Dr. Kip, and uh, she started Force Change or Force for Change, which is a company that focuses on four key areas, voting, education, legislation, and amplification of the Black woman. She's tremendous. You got to read on her. Alicia Balabanis. Okay. Dr. Kemp, what do you think about this one? Hmm? Woman of the Week. Oh, I enjoyed learning about her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely using her skills and her talent, her leadership um, to definitely move the needle forward for all women, it's in, but especially you know women in the sports arena and as well as social um, issues that are going on, um, you know, throughout the um, throughout the world and what we're dealing with. So I really appreciate um, her leadership um, and just keeping things um, to the form, forefront. She's definitely, um, she stated, she's committed to conversations around the intersection of business, sports, and community as a space for positive social change. So I, 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 res- I can respect someone like that. Yeah. Jim, what are your thoughts, another woman executive, and what she's done and doing in the WNBA? What are your thoughts? Well, it sounds like she's twofold, that she's doing the work in the WNBA to build a championship team, and she's going, reaching back in the community to do mm-hmm. other things, which is great also. I think kudos goes out to her. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All righty. One more time for Miss Bala Venice. All righty, CEO, yes up. All righty. This past week, <clears throat> we had some tremendous women inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. They were 2024 inductees. And three of them, 
or were from the Minnesota Lynx. Two of them, you barely have to mention a name, and that is two-time NCAA champion, and she went to the final six times, retired social justice <coughs> activist, none other than Miss Maya Moore. And then the second one is the legendary LSU Tiger, and she's also won multiple WNBA champions, and that is Simone Augustus. The third member of the Lynx was Miss Taj McWilliams Franklin. And these three from the Minnesota Lynx went into the women's WNBA Hall of Fame with a few more. I want to get some comments on these three individually or collectively. Steve, I'm going to start with you. Well, uh, Maya Moore and Simone Augustus I know fairly well, but um, Maya Moore gave up her career when she was still at the top of her game and probably one of the best maybe five players in the WNBA for uh, a man that uh, was wrongly incarcerated and uh, she really fought a good fight and he was released. I think they're even married now. Yes. And uh, Simone Augustus, I remember her when she was playing at LSU and uh, how talented she was. And um, she was one of the ones on the team that that, that had talent, but she stood out among the, uh, the uh, best, not only on her team, but in, in that league in the SEC. I'm not too familiar with uh, the last Franklin, lady. Franklin, yeah. But she was a very good player, played the center for him as well, Steve, and mm. uh, held her own. Uh, there are a few more women that went in that night, but these three were the Minnesota Lynx. But, yes, they all three deserve a hand. Yeah. <laughs> Women's Hall of Fame. All righty. Now, there's another Hall of Fame inductee, and that is none other than Serena Williams, okay? Serena Williams was recently inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame along with Ruby Ridges, okay? This is not for athletic, but this is for um, women who have done outstanding things. And it's the National Women's Hall of Fame, okay? And we want to definitely congratulate Serena Williams. She's doing it again. She's breaking down barriers just like Ruby Ridges did. And uh, Dr. Kemp, what's your thoughts? Serena women going into the Women's National Hall of Fame uh, for women who are breaking down barriers. What's your thoughts? I mean, what can we say? Serena, she, you know, can do it all. Mom, uh, the greatest tennis, one of the greatest tennis players, you know, that's ever lived, still young in her prime. Um, and she's just awesome and she uh, definitely deserve it. So um, I'm just really happy to see her going into the women's hall of fame and you know hopefully she and we know she won't be the the last but she's definitely um you know knocking down the doors for those other young tennis players that's going to come behind her but she definitely deserved this honor as well as ruby bridges and yes. all all those that's coming in with them serena williams y'all serena williams doing it doing it some more all right we gave you just a quick recap on women's volleyball. We'll start with the NAIA. They are actually playing the finals tonight. One of the teams in the finals is Indiana Wesleyan. They're the team that knocked out Talladega Tornadoes in the first round. So they're playing the championship tonight, NAIA. We will give those results next week. The other that we want to announce tonight is in Division Three. The Juniata Eagles out of Pennsylvania 
have won their second national championship in a row. And I want to congratulate them. We don't talk about Division Three much, but they ran through the field of 64. And by the way, not only they win the second year in a row, uh, Steve, they just won their 60, 62nd match in a row. Woo! What do you think about the Juniata Eagles Division Three National Championship? Steve? The 62 in a row. <laughs> 62 matches in a row. <laughs> that, that, you know, that's a dynasty. Yeah. And they are to be congratulated. That That is a dynasty. Anytime you can win two in a row, but then you win 62 straight. You know, I was uh, coaching basketball at a school where our girls volleyball coach won 20, I believe it was 20, ended up being 24 straight district uh, tournaments. Yeah. And uh, for you to be dominant like that, that's that's to be applauded. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go to Fisk University's Alumni Inductee Hall of Famer. She also played volleyball. Joelle, what do you think about the Juniata Eagles? And we're reaching out to the coach to try to get her on the show later on. But what do you think about it? Oh, Keep yes, absolutely. They, they are the team to watch. Can you imagine 62 straight <laughs> victories in a row? I'm like, oh, I'm following them. I want to watch them. They're playing a championship game tonight and go back later on and recap them to follow them all the way through. But that is a program. Yeah. That is a volleyball dynasty program. Yeah. So uh, it's happening right now. And congratulations to the coach, all the players, and the entire school. Yeah. Yes. Juniata has already won it, D3. They won it the other night. Tonight is the NAIA finals with Indiana Wesleyan is in the finals. So we'll have that result next week. Juniata already took care of business in Division Three, And the next Absolutely. week. Absolutely. Yeah. And next week we'll have Division Two and the Division One outcomes. Uh, I don't even think Division One will be finished at that time. So, hey, volleyball live, kicking, doing well. Congratulations to the Juniata Eagles. Yes. We're going to go to a commercial, and then a music commercial, and we will be right back. Back to Dr. Cliff Burton Friends featuring the absolute very best in all of women's sport and HBCU athletics. Now, basketball for the GCAC, the MEAC, the SWAC, SAC, and women's basketball, everybody and NCAA Division One have gotten going, are getting going. And this month, by the end of the month, all the teams will be into their conference play. We're going to bring you much more detail next week on all of our leagues, where they stand, where their records are. But I do want to talk about this return of Angel Reese, LSU Tigers, D1. They're still 
seven and one or eight and one. She came back against Virginia Tech and uh, 19 points, about 15 rebounds. And uh, James, I'm going to come to you first. What's your thoughts, Angel Reese and the LSU Tigers and her return? Well, I'm glad she's back. Now, I remember hearing that uh, Shaq called, FaceTimed her every day during her uh, time off to make sure she was okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> They're saying it was some, she was having some mental, mental issues. And, you know, when you are that popular and you're on social media, and this is all just me thinking out loud, it's got to be tough because they're always social media. There are always people that are just downing you for no reason. And they think that makes them cool. And if you buy into a lot of that stuff, it will give you problems. I'm hoping that, you know, all this is over and she can go on and continue her career and continue to soar. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Jeff, your thoughts on Angel Reese, the LSU star back in playing in, Again with the team. Yeah, I agree with Jim. I think the one thing everyone has to take into consideration, she's still a young lady. Yeah. She's still a young lady dealing with the pressures of life. So it's very important that the people around her right now have to guard her as well. You know, keep 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 somebody at the door at all times. You know, measure who's who's around her, who gets to see her, try to measure who she talks to encourage her to stay off that computer, focus on her craft. Listen, wins and points can settle everything. Trust <laughs> me, but she has to keep her head together and, and stay involved in what, what her what her business is about and let yeah. everything else rub off the side. That's it, Cliff. You're all right now. All right, and I'm gonna to come to Joelle. Your thoughts on the return of Angel Reese. I, first of all, um, I have I sympathize with Angel Reese and I will let her know or how I feel about that. This is time for her to heal. Just like if you have a sprain injury or you have whatever mind, body and soul, whether it be physical or mental, and they have addressed this. The whole world is watching this as she heals. And I hope that she just gets through this, gets back to where we know she can be. And girl, you can be even better than where you are now. So during this time, I just healing and and the support of all the people. And I think that's a great idea. I heard too that Shaq had given her a call. So the support is there for her. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to say this, that I know that Kim Mulkey has been accused of being a controversial coach. But in this instance, I, at least me, I like the way that she protected Angel Reese. And I'm going to come to our basketball expert, Steve. I want your opinion on this incident with Coach Mulkey and Angel Reese. I, I agree with you. And uh, uh, everybody has said uh, great things about this situation uh, and Angel Reese and the support system and Jeff with uh, somebody, you know, guarding the door. I think in this situation, uh, I think Kim Mulkey actually did a, a, a pretty good job of protecting her and not uh, coming out and disclosing stuff that she shouldn't have disclosed. And I think, because uh, you know, Kim Mulkey is a very controversial mm-hmm. coach and, and, and figure. But I think in this case, I think uh, the time away did some good for, for Angel. Uh, I think uh, it's a lot of pressure 
Uh, she's a young woman. She has seemed to have handled it well because you've got something coming at you all the time, positive and negative. So you, you, you can't buy into everything and you have to let the negative comments roll off your back and realize that those people can't do what you do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is jealousy. A lot of that is spite. And a lot of that's you're just a lot of natural, just ugliness. But I think she's handled it well. I think uh, I don't see any, I don't foresee any problems for her the rest of the year. And uh, they're going to be uh, a tough out uh, come tournament. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. We want to talk about one more thing in women's college basketball, D1. USC, out of all the teams and surprises this year in college basketball, they're in the top 10. I think they're ranked number six. And they have two great players, but they have a freshman who is the best player in the country, Juju Watkins. She's already broken some records, scored over 30 in three or four straight games for a freshman. But I'm coming right back to you, Steve. Give us your take on Juju Watkins. Juju has just gone from high school dominance to college dominance. She has not skipped a beat. Uh, four straight games, over 30 points a game. Uh, she is the real deal. When you talk about somebody, I actually think that this young lady will raise the bar and set new standards for pay in the WNBA. Wow. Because she's going to be able to make a lot of money in college with name, image, and likeness. And I think she will have to, she would have to take a pay cut if she left early to go to WNBA. I think she'll change that. I think Cheryl Miller would have would have done the same thing during her time for the WNBA. But Juju is the truth. I as she's the best woman college basketball player right now. Mm. And she's not far from being the best woman basketball player, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she is special. She's about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and offensively she can do everything with the ball. I love the way she gets to her spots on the floor where she wants to go. She can pass it. She can have And I'm going to tell you somebody who she reminds me of, and Jeff, you will know this name, and it's a guy. But her skill level and feel for the game and the way she moves reminds me of none other than Lloyd Daniels, Sweet Pea. And uh, she she has just got it. Right now, Cheryl Miller, Elena Deladon, and Juju are the best three women I've seen. Steve, and, uh, yeah. you, you, you put her uh, ahead of Caitlin Clark right now? Uh, ahead of who? Caitlin Clark. Yeah. Wow. Right. See, see, this girl is different. Yeah. She's she's different. They got a girl at um, TCU, Mandy, I can't think of her last name. They're averaging 41 a game. <laughs> she All reminds right. me of Caitlin Clark. She's a smaller, uh-huh. but the same skill set. We're going to keep an eye on this one. We're going to keep an eye. Juju Watkins, y'all. Juju Watkins. We're going to keep an eye on it. Listen, before we go to break, when we come into gym, football and uh, HBCU. We want to mention this 
there's another sport going on. There's only three HBCU conferences that have it. In Division II, the CIAA has it. And in Division I, MEAC and the SWAC. Bowling season started about a month and a half ago. They played through April. It's very competitive. And uh, we want to mention because uh, last year, a dynasty was broken in the CIAA. Okay. I think it's Hoppin State, I want to be sure, or Boot State. They had a six-year championship dynasty going in bowling. And then they lost. I forgot who they lost to in the finals. But bowling is very competitive. It's another way for young folks to get their scholarships. And we more young folks looking at earning a bowling scholarship. Okay? We're going to go to break. And Jim, right back now. All right. Looking for residential, commercial, land, builder, developer, and investor services, it's prenaestates.com. Pamela at prenaestates.com, 404-964-4294. She can get it done for you in a land. Jim, take us away. I'm where we have the NCAA Division One. The final four is going to be Michigan versus Alabama and the Rose Bowl and Washington versus Texas in the Sugar Bowl. Now, it is not without controversy. Mm-hmm. You have Florida State at 13-0 and left out and two-time defending champion Georgia at 12-1. and Now, I know you usually don't do this, but I want to ask Steve sure. and Joel and Cliff. Sure. How they feel and how they feel about that because that is a major controversy for especially with Florida State. You do everything you're supposed to win all your games, <clears throat> win your conference, and you're still left out. Well, I'll go first, and I'll let Steve go next. Uh, I told you first of all, Jim, a week ago I saw Georgia play live. I knew they weren't the same team. Now Alabama beating them was great. However, um, Florida State is supposed to be in there, whether it's Alabama. I think that's – and they're the only one with one loss in those four. I think uh, Washington's undefeated. And no, Texas so, and Alabama. Yeah, one of those need one. to go. One of those need to go. Uh, Florida State deserves to be in there. But I'm going to kick it over to Steve. Steve? And I'm, I'm glad you said that word, deserve, Cliff, because this year the committee said they were not going to give it to – the most deserving team, they were going to give it to the best four team, whether you deserved it or not. I think the thing that stung Florida State was last year uh, uh, TCU getting lambasted or lambasted in the championship game by Georgia, and they didn't want that to happen again. And then Florida State lost their quarterback, and they only scored 16 points in the uh, ACC championship game. Uh, and it's hard because you look at what Georgia did uh, last year and over the last two years in 29 straight games, and they lose a championship game to Alabama, and they're out of it. And Florida State, don't get me wrong, they have a gripe, and I, I, I get it. I really do. 
But if you're going to take the Florida, uh, uh, the, the top four teams, the committee, I think, and I usually don't agree with the committees, but they almost got this right, I think, because okay. uh, it's kind of hard to leave anybody out because you see Texas beat Bama. So, you know, it's, it, it's rough. Yeah. Joelle? Yes. To my understanding, the winner between the Georgia and Alabama game is is going forward, correct? Yeah, correct. Okay, so in Florida's place, but Florida has has a higher winning record, correct? Undefeated, correct. Undefeated. Right. Yep. So I don't know in the decision of who's going forward, it was already made and we play every year according to decisions that have been made. So only thing I can say that coming up in the future, we need to make sure that we look out for a situation such as this because Florida did have an outstanding record and accomplishments. However, um, the winner of that game goes forward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jeff? Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. I was just going to answer that. Well, if Texas had not beaten Alabama, that's where the problem was because you want to take Alabama, but wait, I can't take Alabama because Texas beat them. Yeah. There'd have been a gripe there. So it was just next year there'll be 12 teams. So you want you'd be arguing over 13. <laughs> but, yeah. Dr. Kemp in the chat in the chat says Florida State got robbed. Uh, I think you wanted Jeff. Did you want Jeff, Jim? Jeff, your yes. opinion on that. Uh, let me, okay. Uh, there you go, Jeff. Okay, yeah, I was just saying, I, I like wins and losses. That settles, that's a clear decision. It'll settle things in the future. We don't have to worry about what these teams deserve to get in, what teams are supposed to get in. Wins and losses at most conferences, most, most sports sporting events. Listen, it's about the, Winner of the division, the winner of the conference, the winner of the championship. That's the bottom line. Let's come back next year and do it again. Yeah. All right. Yep. And next year also, you only have four major conferences since the Pac-12 is going to be no more. Mm. But in FCS, which is football <clears throat> championship subdivision, you have number one, South Dakota State, against number eight, Villanova. Number two, Montana versus number seven, Furman. Number three, South Dakota versus North Dakota State. And number four, Idaho versus number five, Albany. Division two, you have Lenore Rhymes, number three, versus number two, Harding. Number one, Colorado, Colorado State of Mi School of Mines versus Cutstown State. Mm -hmm. And in Division Three, you got Hold North on, Jim, Central. Jim, I have a question. Did Lenore Ryan? They're the ones who knocked out Benedict yes. with Coach Chenisberry, HBC champs in the in the, in the SIC. They knocked them out of this tournament. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, great. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. Well, in Division Three, you got North Central of Illinois versus Waterbug. And Cortland versus Randolph Macon. Hmm. Now, don't we still have some HBCU games left? Yeah. The Celebration Bowl is going to be Howard versus FAMU. And that's going to be held uh, not this Saturday, but the Saturday after next mm -hmm. in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And it'll be on. <clears throat> have an interesting, you've got a. 
Edden James, which is Edgerin James' son, is a running back for Howard. And Jeremy Musa is the quarterback for Florida A&M. Mm. So that should be a good game there. You also have the Florida Beach Bowl with Fort Valley State versus Johnson C. Smith. Wow. Okay. Now, in our We had last week, we had the top five uh, HBCU NFL prospects. This week, we will go over the next five. We would quickly, Sundiata Anderson, Edge from Grambling, was number one. Aleem Dakwa, offensive tackle at Howard, was number two. Willie Drew, cornerback at Virginia State, number three. Davius Richard, the quarterback at North Carolina Central, number four. And Jarvion Howard is a running back at Alcorn State. Mm -hmm. Number six is going to be Khalil Baker from North Carolina Central. He led the team in tackles with 61 and interceptions with four. He's a versatile, hard-hitting safety who plays for multiple alignments. Number seven is Kenny Gallup, also a safety from Howard. He was under-recruited prospect. Howard was his only scholarship offer coming out of high school, but ended up leading the finishing second in the conference in tackles. He's a run chase and hit safety. He plays primarily low and as overhang defenders, he plays the run. Number eight is Javon Morgan, a cornerback from Florida A&M. He quickly turned into a star last year with 42 tackles and a team leading four interceptions. He trusts his eyes and is quick reacting and diagnoses well in zone, but can also play the slot against man receivers and tight ends. Number nine is Tariq Stewart, an offensive tackle of North Carolina A&T. He played two years of college right out of high school, then jumped to West Virginia and then transferred back, transferred to North Carolina A&T, where he's played solely at right tackle and has become a full-time starter in his first year. Mm-hmm. Number 10, rounding off the top 10, is Matthew Foster on offensive tackle from Virginia State. He's one of the top players in Division II last year and was named Offensive CIAA Lineman of the Year in 2022. He has a sufficient frame of six foot five, 315 pounds, and has room to grow. So that rounds out our top. 10. Okay. Now on to the NFL mm-hmm. where we had a game this week between Philadelphia and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Doing a lot of chirping during that game because Philadelphia beat up San Francisco last year, knocked the quarterback out. So they Uh-oh. had to play the last Uh-oh. two and a half. <laughs> Keep going. You scared me there. Two and a half <laughs> quarters without a quarterback. So San Francisco took it personal this year. And when I mean personal, they took it out on the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles lost badly in that game. Mm-hmm. Also last night, you had uh, – 
the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were low-key right behind Baltimore, I think, in terms of winning the AFC, if they had just won the game. Mm -hmm. But they not only lost the game, but lost their quarterback in the Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Trevor Lawrence got hurt. And Cincinnati won the game 34-31 in overtime. Also, Kansas City, everybody's favorite, lost to a team that I think is up and coming, Green Bay. 21-19, you know, Green Bay, they were giving uh, Jordan Love a hard time early on because he didn't look, his, didn't look good, but it was his first time playing. But come down the stretch, he's beating the Lions, and he beat Kansas City on Sunday. He's doing a great job, has a lot of young wide receivers to grow with, and he also has a defense with eight first-round picks in it. Now, the uh, standings have really tightened up because, let's see, Miami is leading the East with Buffalo three games behind. Baltimore is up in the North with the Steelers and the Browns two games behind. Jacksonville is up in the south, but close behind. They're going to be the Indianapolis Colts and Colts and the Houston Texans. And Kansas City pretty much is doing what they want in the West. Mm-hmm. In, in the NFC, you've got the Philadelphia Eagles still have the best record in football at 10-2. and two. But now they've got the Cowboys on their heels at 9-3. and three. The Lions are nine and three, and the Vikings and the charging, surging Green Bay Packers are right behind them. But one thing to note: the Lions have to play Minnesota twice in the last three games. Mm-hmm. So Minnesota still has a chance there. And in the NFC South, where you've got the Atlanta Falcons at six and six, and everybody else under. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the uh, in the West. You've got San Francisco 49ers at nine and three with the Los Angeles Rams and Seahawks three games behind. Mm-hmm. Now the next question is about Aaron Rodgers and that soap opera that you have in New York called the Jets. Aaron Rodgers got hurt four games into the season. They played Zach Wilson. They benched Zach Wilson. They brought in a quarterback. I forgot his name, but they cut him today anyway. And brought in a rookie off of the uh, Seattle Seahawks practice squad. They want Zach Wilson to start the game, but he says, I don't know. I might get hurt. And it's been said that, you know, their confidence, the team players' confidence for Zach Wilson is just not there. So he feels that he doesn't want to go in there. If you don't believe in me, I'm not going to play. And Mm -hmm. all of that is Aaron Rodgers coming back after getting hurt in September. So he's about 11 weeks coming back from a torn Achilles. Mm -hmm. And and I'm going to ask you, Cliff, is that even possible? Uh, Not not recommended, but uh, we'll see what happens. is he drinking some too much ayahuasca? I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see on that. 
because he turned he turned turns or turns 40. Mm-hmm. So if I were him, I'd be very cautious for the rest of my career so I don't do more injury and damage than is already done trying to rush back for what? The Jets are yeah. not going to make the playoff. I agree. I agree. You know, it would be different if the Jets were – 500 and you know had a chance to catch the Dolphins but they don't have a chance to get they don't have a chance to get to the uh get to the wild card round mm-hmm. so if I were Aaron Rodgers I would stick to my guns keep on practicing getting better but not go against a live team because I think if he gets hurt this time so quickly after rehabbing for an Achilles he could do irreputable damage to okay. this. Okay. Right. All right. We'll keep an eye on all that. Reach out to the football gym, and um, we'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers and the rest of the league. About five more weeks, and we're down to the playoffs in the NFL. We'll take a 30-second break, and we're coming right back. The NBA, NCAA D1, John Thompson. Welcome back. Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. We want to welcome all of our 24 engaged on the line tonight. We have another 10 in the chat. And then we want to welcome some special guests. Podbean is heard around the world, Podbean listeners. And uh, we want to say hello to our friends in Singapore. We had 15 downloads of our show in Singapore today. And welcome to our friends from Bangladesh. So we have people downloading us nationally and internationally. We want to tell them, hey, welcome to the show. Steve, basketball, take us away. Division one, your top 10, you have Arizona, one at seven and oh, Kansas, two at seven and one, Houston, three at eight and oh, Purdue four at eight and one, and Purdue lost to Northwestern in overtime, uh, unranked team. UConn is in fifth place at seven and one, and their only loss so far has been to Kansas by four at Kansas, and they play North Carolina tonight at eight o'clock. Baylor is six at eight and zero. Oh. Gonzaga is uh, seventh at six and one. They lost to Purdue by ten. Marquette is six and two, and uh, they they also lost to Purdue. That was, that was one of their losses. North Carolina is nine at ninth place at seven and one. Their only loss was to Villanova in overtime, and like I said, they played Connecticut at eight. And number ten is Creighton. They are seven and one, and their loss was. I'm not going to say it's an ugly loss because Colorado State is really good right now. I don't know if they'll be there at the end, but they lost to uh, Colorado Colorado State by 21 points. And their top two scorers, Alexander and Shireman, 
was shot a combined five of 37 from the field. So, you know, that, that was a rough shooting night. Uh, Florida Atlantic is playing uh, well right now, and they're in a the game with Illinois. I don't think they're going to be able to pull this one out, but they're playing well. But they've had some good wins. Duke has dropped tremendously because they've lost three games. They've lost mm. to Arkansas. They lost to Arizona at home. And then they lost to Georgia Tech when their point guard, uh, Tyrese Proctor, got hurt uh, the first part of the game. And uh, they're not playing well. And uh, mm. I think uh, they'll, they will clean it up, though. Uh, Kentucky had a big win over Miami, blew them out, and then lost to North, Car- North Carolina Wil- Wilmington at home. Mm. So, you know, it, it's a lot of parity in college basketball, a lot of parity. And sticking with um, college, we're going to talk about John Thompson, Big John. 1941 to 2020, he was 79 years old when he passed away. Had a coaching record of 596 wins and 239 losses, 71% of his games. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame, College Hall of Fame, in 2006. He played his college ball at Providence. And at that time when he left Providence, he was their all-time leading scorer and all-time in points per game. He had a short pro career playing back up to Bill Russell, of course, with the Celtics from 1964 to 66, but he was on two uh, title teams while he was with the Celtics. His coaching career started at at Georgetown, and uh, he went to three Final Fours in 1982, 1984, and 1985. They won the championship in 1984. Uh, that's when, you know, he got Patrick Ewing, and um, he um, was able to get to those Final Fours with Patrick. He spent 27 seasons at Georgetown. Uh, he um, Once he left basketball, he became, the first thing he did was become a, a presidential consultant for urban affairs at Georgetown. Then he became a commentator for TNT. He had his own show, the John Thompson Show, until 2012. Uh, and this is a, something that is really unbelievable. But he was scheduled to be on Flight 77, mm. uh, 9-11, that 9-11, the one that uh, hit the Pentagon. Wow. wow. And his flight... Uh, was well he was canceled his seat was canceled that's why he wasn't on there wow. and 10 years later he reunited with the um uh the travel agent on the jim rome show who had canceled his flight so that's really uh really something mm-hmm. he kept a he kept a deflated basketball on his desk when the players would come in the first thing they would see was that deflated basketball and that was to let you know that, you know, once that ball stops bouncing, what are you going to do? Are you going to be educated? You know, are you going to be able to make a living for yourself, make a good life? Uh, but he was an awesome guy. I got to meet him and spend some time with him uh, the first, uh, Patrick Ewan's freshman year. I got to spend, spend some time with him, talking to him. And um, he, uh, his son, ended up coaching at Georgetown, who also took uh, them to the Final Four. He had the 
big center from uh, Indiana. The Pacers, uh, Roy Hibbert was on that team. And then Patrick Ewing uh, took over and coached after that. And, um, you know, they, 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 they fired Patrick and oh my God, what a cluster, you know. But anyway, uh, that was that was that was that was that was really ugly. But uh, I mean, just a great career. He said he spoke two languages, English and profanity. That's big John said, but he was a great coach. Uh, they they of course they want to make you seem like you're quirky when you do certain things, but he was protecting his players that was his main thing protection of his players and he's coached some great players so you know big john was he he was a special man he, he really was yes and, steve yeah. i don't want to you may get to it but in his career he graduated 97 percent of those players that came to georgetown he yes. looked out for his players yeah yes. oh yeah he did 97 percent. you were gonna get an education or else <laughs> and then, of course, he had the great one, Allen Iverson, AI. Mm -hmm. He had him, and um, that was a very special relationship and stayed a special relationship even after Allen's career was over. Uh, because Allen, if, if you knew a little bit about Allen's background, and I, I, I uh, know uh, uh, Allen's AAU coach, you know, he had some circumstances that he overcame and uh, getting with John Thompson only made him a better person. Yeah. And uh, it, it, that, that was a great relationship and a, and a perfect match between the college coach and the college player. Yeah. 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 So. You know, Steve, there's another story, and I don't know if you, you've, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, coach Thompson was such a father figure Majority black players, black coach, back in the eighties at this Georgetown white PWI, and uh, there was a circumstance that a known drug dealer, who was known to commit homicide, was contacting his players. Nobody would challenge this drug dealer. They say John Thompson summoned him to the Georgetown to his office and confronted him, and that drug dealer left the Georgetown players alone and. Uh, he was just that kind of guy that was going to stand up for his players and had no fear. Uh, uh, and let me, tell, let, let me tell you something about that story. Sure. That is almost 100% true. Uh -huh. uh, there was another drug dealer that was a buffer between Coach Thompson and the main drug dealer he was talking to, and he made sure that this guy was going to be uh, not doing anything to John, where John didn't have anything to worry about, where John could tell him where he was coming from and it'd be okay because this one guy that, that uh, everybody respected, um, uh, I can't think of his last name, his first name was Carnell, but um, everybody respected Carnell because Carnell was the, a nonviolent type. So Carnell was able to act as a buffer between John and and this other guy and 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 keep it you know yeah keep it steady but yeah John John was willing to Lay to do there. that you know at, hey look another story John found out that uh, Allen Iverson was going pro when uh, uh, he saw him out one day driving a big uh, Mercedes Benz he said well I guess 
he made his decision. His sophomore year. <laughs> yeah. Guess he's guess I guess he made his decision. But yeah, he was, John was a special special guy. He really was. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you so much, Steve. We are definitely at the beginning of basketball season. We want to make sure on our show that when season starts, they talk about Bobby Knight, they talk about Mike Krzyzewski, they talk about Roy Williams, they talk about Dean Smith and some of the present day coaches. But there's some great black coaches that have laid the foundation and continue for this game. And we want to make sure that we get this out on Dr. Cliff Burton and Friends. So again, Steve, thanks. Great job on that segment. Great job. Now, coming up, we have a special edition of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends. We often uh, address, uh, let me say a few things before we get there. Hello to Benita Hayes down in Tennessee. She says, way to go Bangladesh and Singapore. And I also want to say that we'll be back next week with a special segment. Joelle will be talking about the men's basketball segment in the SIAC and the CIAA. Okay. So we want to mention that. Now, <clears throat> we have a special show coming up. Uh, a Dr. Alonda Stevens. She's a life coach. She really specializes in women approaching or in their 40s. Uh, she has a, a bunch of knowledge. Uh, she's a well educated woman. And I think that this show is going to be extremely special. The three or four co-host on this show have daughters um and the same things that regular women face are athletic women face there's not equal pay for women coaches they have to print life to 40 or after coaching and, and all the other issues trying to be a mother and work imagine trying to be a d1 basketball woman and be a mother dr alana stevens is going to come on december 19th spread the word like wildfire it's going to be a tremendous evening and we want to make sure we get the word out right and we're going to do it right here dr cliff burton's plans we want to say again thank you thank you to the 35 people engaged in the audience tonight we want to thank all listeners who are downloading our show in the united states and abroad by the way this past week we had a record number of download shows we had 84 downloads just the show last week that's never happened before we'll continue to spread the word we're going to bring it to you right here, Dr. Cliff Burton, friends. And we're going to see everybody back. You got it. 168 hours from now. Thank you so much, Steve, Marlo, Jeff, Joelle, and James, and all of our listening audience. Thank you so much. Continue to spread the word, Dr. Cliff Burton, friends. We love. You. We're out of here now. Michael. All right now.